It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And now here's the star of our show, James Van It's car con carne. Uh, quarantine con carne for the foreseeable future. There is no car to drive around. No one wants to get in a car with me and share plates of food. So Quarantine Con Carne finds me every night doing a podcast from my home office. My guest is Brian Zarnick. He is a zookeeper. In this world where everyone on planet Earth has been watching Tiger King, I thought Brian would be a perfect person to bring on the podcast. Brian, for eight years, worked for Big Cat Rescue. He worked with Carol Baskin, who is one of the big players in Tiger King, which we watched all seven episodes of, uh, of over the weekend. Brian, welcome to uh, Quarantine Con Carne. Yes. Hi. How are you? Before we talk about, I don't even know what we're gonna, how we're gonna get into this, but let's start with your impressions of Tiger King. You were in that world. You worked for Big Cat Rescue. You worked for Carol Baskin. What were your impressions of that? Basically, seven hours of programming on Netflix. Yeah, it was long, and I, I think I watched uh, three hours, and then I took a break for a good hour, and then watched the other four. Um, I thought they had a chance to really do something great, and that's tell America the story of these cats who are used. Uh, if you're a cub, you can be played with. Um, and then after the people who have these zoos and places that they kind of exploit these animals at, uh, as soon as that animal is mature and older and you can't, what happens to them? And it's I was hopeful that they would go that route, but then the cast of characters were just too much, and they just went off on you know, Joe Exotic and all the, the people, which it's great to shine a spotlight on, on how crazy the animal field is in, in certain aspects. But uh, so I like parts of it. And then the other parts, I thought they kind of went for sensationalism kind of things and, and stuff like that. I get that. But with the characters involved, how can it come off as anything less than sensational? How do you, yeah. how do you dial that down? I mean, it, it, it seemed like lunacy. I mean, the first two episodes, we had the gay thruple wedding in Oklahoma. We had the polygamist. We had all, all these things. And then it got weird after all that. Yeah. Like, and then it got weird. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's a good thing. I think that uh, Joe Exotic's ego, you know, to have his own YouTube channel and his own, uh, TV show that he filmed so much because it, it it looked like certain things were filmed from this this camera crew that that came along and then it seems like they grabbed a lot of footage from his own kind of thing and that really showed the insanity when you see that girl who just had her arm torn off and there he's filming it and it just it was it's nuts it's nuts I didn't maybe this was intentional I don't remember in that first episode the the woman who lost her arm and the guy who lost his legs. I wasn't aware that they were limbless in the first episode. Then in the second episode, you understand how they are limbless and they lost their limbs. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, it's it's terrible. It's, it's terrible. You, you'd like to think that the people that have all these animals are kind of experts, kind of like a, even though I wasn't a huge fan of like Steve Irwin, but like, you know, like a Jack Hanna, Steve Irwin, people that, okay, they really, they know how to handle these animals and what's happened. No, it's just a bunch of lunatics sometimes have these animals and, and people can see firsthand. They're just crazy. One, there are so many different directions to go when, when talking about Tiger King. One that just raised its hand and made itself clear is the sexual undercurrent of these people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what is it? What is the aphrodisiac nature of working with tigers that it's, it's weird because 
when you're in a band, you kind of use that, hey, I'm in a band, you know, and then, but it's, I guess it's that same kind of thing of, hey, I own a tiger, or you want to see a lion cub, but yeah, you're actually absolutely correct that these people that, that own these crazy little zoos would use these cats to kind of lure in people, and then the, they weren't happy with one relationship. They needed two or three or like harems of people. People are nuts. It goes without saying, as we're talking about Tiger King, there may be spoilers in this conversation. Although I think since no one had anywhere to go over the yeah, past weekend, definitely. everyone's pretty much caught up in all seven episodes. Yeah. The bottom line is Joe is doing time. He's doing 22 years. And it seems like he's on a scorched earth trail. Like he's trying to take down everyone else right now. It's like this revenge thing. And that includes people like, well, he's been after Carol from the get-go. Uh, what, what's your perception of all that? How do you respond when you see? To me, that very last episode when, and it's hard to tell when things are filmed of what actually happened in occurrence, but if, if he truly moved a locker's worth of, uh, of paperwork and, and, and all and, and the receipts of who he sold these cats to, if he truly has that, in some storage locker and he could kind of expose that whole world. Uh, Cause I've seen it happen where these people will kind of turn on themselves. Um, so if he can do that, then it's all kind of worth it. I mean, um, he, he would trade cats and sell cats and breed and kind of, I'm sure it was not all legal. I'm, I'm positive. It was uh, illegal, you know, sure. a lot of it. So if, if he was kind of stupid enough to keep paperwork of illegal activity, I, I hope he can turn it over to the correct people and then those people can kind of sort through it all and s expose this kind of crazy world out there of these people. And then the documentarian, the guy who's filming everything, uh, there was the arson on site. And then what I've come to learn is after he moved back home, maybe it was to New York or something, his house burned down six months after that. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. yeah it's a thing that animals were, were killed in that, in that little hut that they, yeah. Had all the, the film and all that, but uh, it's, just, it's, it's so crazy that if a person was to come up with a film, a movie about it, it wouldn't be as crazy because you would think, oh, we can't include all that. That's too much. But yet the truth is just it's insane. So you worked at Big Cat Rescue from 2000 to 2008. Yep. And it, before that, you were on the punk rock scene in Chicago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, um, uh, Oblivion was the group I was in, and we did about 12 years. Uh, we went from playing clubs to playing uh, shows around the tri-state area to then a full-grown uh, group on tour all the time. And then we hit the point where it seemed like um, we were going to return to kind of just playing weekend warrior type thing. And I thought, well, we achieved this, and then we're going to start to do this. So I thought it was a good time to just kind of pursue other activities. and. Uh, my mom, oddly enough, who's like a snowbird, half time here and half Florida, she sent me uh, an article from the Chicago Tribune, this place that had cats that you can kind of hang out with and all that. So then when I moved to Florida, I kind of looked this place up and uh, I volunteered there. And then weeks after I volunteered there, I was asked if I wanted to move on site and actually um, live there as a, an animal keeper. So I did that for eight years. And then there were uh, about three and a half years within that time that I also worked at the uh, local zoo. So I had two jobs at the whole zoo field there. 
So seeing what happened at uh, Joe Exotic's place, the way he paid his people, they, I think they were making like less than $200 a week. They were eating expired Walmart food to get by. Was it a similar situation at Big Head Rescue? I'm, I'm sure you didn't get wealthy working there. No. Uh, my first year, uh, I was there 2000. I was paid not very much, um, but I had a free place to live, which a lot of places do. But unlike Joe's place and the other places, we use whatever income we receive from, from tours and showing people around to take care of our animals. So our animals received a good, high quality food. Uh, we didn't have a vet on, um, on site, but we had a vet on call. So if a cat was sick or injured or anything like that, she would come uh, to the sanctuary and take care of animals, where it seems like Joe's place, I don't think they even had a vet or a vet on call. So if an animal was to get sick there, who's taking care of it? it it's kind of sad. Um, but yeah, the first few years when we weren't really popular, um, it, it was hard and you weren't, uh, the, the whole, the animal field as a whole really isn't a field that you want to join in if, if you're looking to ever own like a big house or anything like that, <laughs> field across, um, we're, we are kind of spoiled here in Chicago with zoos cause they are, uh, union. So you can earn two to three times more as a zookeeper, um, you would like at a small place in Florida or something like that. But yeah, it certainly isn't a field that you enter uh, for a check. It's a, it's a it's extremely low paying. When you were at Big Head Rescue, I am trying to get the timelines together in my head. Was that concurrent with when Joe started his camp or the campaigns were going back and forth? Carol was trying to shut Joe down. Joe was trying to just scorched earth everything Carol was doing, or was that before? I started there in 2000 and we were kind of concerned about cleaning up our own place. So we didn't really have any campaigns to kind of, uh, we would tell people like you shouldn't support people who breed a cub just to be, uh, you know, placed on your lap and then you take pictures for a fee and all that stuff. Um, we didn't really start campaigns like that. I want to say to like 2003 or four. Um, and then Joe's name came up. I never knew him as Joe Exotic. I knew his Joe Schreibel or something like that. Uh, I knew him of that because he actually used to supply cubs for a place up in Wisconsin. Um, so I always heard about him. But the whole war between him and Carol, it, it didn't really blow up until, uh, I'd say, like 2010, 11. So I left there in 2008. So I, did, I really wasn't. Uh, hearing about him so much. And then after I moved up to Chicago, uh, he emailed my YouTube twice asking if I had anything on, on Carol and the whole sanctuary and all that. Wow. It's interesting watching the, the series on Netflix. For the first two episodes, Carol comes across as the voice of reason, even though she dresses like a cat when she addresses Congress. And then everything falls off a cliff and you're led to question everything. The question I'm sure you've been asked a kajillion times, I have to oh, ask because my journalistic instinct, did she kill her husband? Yeah, I, I was there in 2000. I think uh, he went away um, three years, two or three years before that. And when I moved to Tampa, uh, the first job I got there was kind of a chauffeur for an old person's home. And I recall um, some guy who was like a chauffeur for another agency, he was asking me like, you know, where do you hang out? And I told him this, this place on Easy Street, you know, the cat sanctuary. And he immediately like, oh yeah, that's the place that, you know, Carol probably uh, killed her husband. 
And then he laughed and then kind of told me what, what he thought. He goes, you know, her husband towards the end was kind of hanging out and owed some things to people that weren't so great. So his opinion was that he probably hung out with the wrong crowd towards the end and either these people had something or he just knew these people weren't so great. And then he just left. And I've also heard that he owned a lot of crappy small planes and who knows if he tried to fly the plane too far. Uh, to be totally honest, I never really concerned myself. I knew like, Kel didn't kill this guy, but I didn't try to figure out like what really happened. And we had so much work to clean the place up because he would collect um, machinery and just junk, like lawn chairs. Like he would just have, he, he left that lot that the cat sanctuary is on with so much junk on it. For my first few years, we were just hauling out junk and trying to clean up the actual place for the animals that we really, we didn't really concern ourselves with what honestly happened to them or, or anything like that. And that leads me to the question, especially in that last episode, it's really laid bare how brutal some of these animals, or how brutally some of these animals were treated. You're told that Doc Antle had gas chambers, and you see the stuff or hear the stuff that Joe allegedly did. I've got to think, I know there were people who were just looking to have a shelter for themselves and have food, and were just doing it to collect a paycheck. But I've got to think there was a balance of guys like you uh, to counterbalance the people who were just there to make a buck and didn't care about the animals. Yeah. And I would think even at, at, at Joe Exotics place, that lead keeper person, I forget his name, he had longer hair. It seemed like he actually cared. And yeah. a lot of these people care and they just don't know, they aren't educated to see like the big picture that they're like, okay, I own a cat and it bred and has little ones. So what's the harm if I just charge people a little fee to hold the cub and then, and then in a year I'll have to, read it again have more cubs and more cubs they don't step away from that look at the big picture that you you're flooding the world with cats that we really don't need we need to protect the ones out there in the wild and then the aza which is a, a people who like oversee the zoo system have a ssp program which is a species survival program and if you breed you should be within that program because that program makes sure that you aren't overbreeding and that also the zoos involved in that program are supporting the animals out there. So a lot of these, all these places that they really showed aren't a part of any uh, accredited zoological system. And they certainly aren't a part of an SSP program. Um, so it's hard to explain people how that all works and everything. But yeah, you like to think there were good people at even these horrible places, but because they're owned from people like Joe Exotic and Antle, uh, they're just overruled on, on how the place should operate and all that. Uh, do you think at some point Jeff Lowe will be taken down? I, I think so. I, uh, his place is open. Uh, he touts that they're accredited by the U U.S. Zoological, so and that's confusing. Um, you, you have the AZA, which is what large zoos are overseen by, which is like the Bronx Zoo, uh, Lincoln Park Zoo. They're all part of the AZA. And there's an organization out there called the ZAA, which is the Zoological Association of America or something like that. And the ZAA oversees some places that are okay, and then they oversee some places that are horrible. And then you have this U.S. Zoological. So for the average person, you just head to a zoo and you don't really care if they're uh, USDA approved or AZA approved, but you really should research on, 
of what place you are. So his place is still there in Oklahoma. Uh, it's on the same lot. He's got hundreds and hundreds of cats, and he shouldn't be allowed to own a single one. Um, I'm yeah. sure he's going to breed and exploit, breed and exploit. Um, and unfortunately, the USDA who can close a place like that, it'll take years for them to compile uh, abuse charges and all that. There was a place in Indiana, it took them about six years to close this place. But within six years, you can do a lot of horrible things. For so sure. I'm, I'm assuming in the long run, we'll see him out of the whole animal industry, but it, it'll probably be years and years before that happens. I want to talk about what we can do to raise our collective awareness, what we can do to help. Before I get there, what was working with Carol like? She was awesome. I mean, she, she's an eccentric person. And we, we would joke about her. She would wear these outfits, these cat outfits, like a leopard print dress, but then have this floral headband on. And we, we were like, who dresses like that? And we would kind of hope she would become uh, not so eccentric because no matter how much we worked hard and all that, people always saw her as the place. Like it's, it's her place and all that. Um, and there were times that you wouldn't see her for like uh, a few days because she actually worked off-site when I was there. When I first came on ground, she worked in an office at the sanctuary. And then uh, shortly after that, she moved off-site because she owns like plots of lands and stuff like that. So her job is to kind of keep all that stuff. So her, her kid, which was, she was in the film just for a really quick time. She's actually kind of in charge of the sanctuary and all that. But um, I liked Carol. She was eccentric. She always uh, treated me extremely well. Um, I lived on her lot. I worked for her. So I had her as my uh, head CEO and I had her as my, uh, landlords, she was always cool. Totally eccentric, totally weird sometimes, but but she was cool. And and she, I think the film kind of caught it. Um, she originally would breed and all that stuff until she kind of learned something clicked in her head. Like, oh, wait a minute, these cats don't need someone to just breed them. They need kind of take care of them. There's too many people out there that are trying to breed all these animals, and then people really shouldn't have them as a pet. So she went from the people that this film was trying to say, like, you know, shouldn't have it as a pet, and then she kind of switched. And a lot of people claim, like, oh, you switched because you could kind of tap into that PETA crowd and all that stuff. When we switched, we pissed off some people because some people would come out to the sanctuary to kind of, to, like, play with, uh, they wouldn't play with, like, a lion or leopard, uh, but, like, a smaller cat, like a serval cat or caracals. So we would show them the sanctuary for about an hour, hour and a half tour. And then after the tour, we would um, allow people to kind of uh, pet like a smaller cat. And then we eliminated that because we're like, why are we telling these people we shouldn't be pets? And then we're kind of showing them, hey, this is a cool animal, you should play with it. So we, we stopped all that in 02 or 01. And it was very hard to draw people then to come see the sanctuary when we couldn't offer that fun time. Um, so we certainly, we weren't switching because we thought, oh, these, these AR people, these Peter people don't really come support us and all that stuff. That was, it was, it was hard to kind of slowly build up uh, our, 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 our new crowd, I guess. As a zookeeper, as someone who's been through a lot with big cats, what's it like working with a tiger? What's it like being in close proximity to a 1,000 <laughs> pound creature like that? I get it. Like in the film, there's a part where Shaquille, 
O'Neill, um, he was close with either Joe Exotic or Antela, I forget which one. And I get it. I get it that it would be cool to hold a lion cub or, or some cub because these are like amazing animals. Um, but you learn what you need to kind of actually take care of them. But uh, yeah, I've been working around for 20 years and, and I can say every time I, I see them in the hallway or outside in their exhibit, it, uh, it really hits me like, wow, that's, that's probably the world's coolest animal there. That's a, a tiger. <laughs> so it's, it still hits you even after 20 years. And it's, what's cool is that if you support um, the ecosystem for a big cat like that, you then save enough habitat to save all these other animals. Because there's a lot of animals that aren't as popular, but equally are as important to the ecosystem. So that's why I really like large cats, because they, they need this huge kind of territory out there. So then if you support enough habitat and ecosystem for these animals, you're, you're saving all the other animals that live in it and stuff. So that's my personal, like, uh, appeal with these like huge animals but yeah it, it's cool I mean it's a, a tiger you know I played drums in a punk band and then all of a sudden like oh there's a tiger and I'm being in charge to feed it and then to like clean its poop and everything like wow that's kind of weird <laughs> absolutely so we've all sat through all seven episodes we've all finished the series on Netflix and said fuck that was weird yeah. but clearly there are some bad people doing bad things with animals. What can we as responsible wanting to do the right thing people do? What, what organizations can we look to? How can, how can we help the species that you saw the numbers at the end of the last episode? Yeah. There is such a disproportionate amount of tigers in the wild as there are to tiger, tigers at places like Joe Exotics. What can we do to help? What you, you want to do, because there's a lot of places out there that exhibit animals. So it's so easy to just hop on the internet and just look into what kind of zoo or animal park you will support and you want to research it. And I always tell people if it seems too good to be true, it is. So if it's a park that's going to let you play with a, a cub or a little chimpanzee or something like that, then it's not a great place. Um, you have to realize that these uh, places are out there and, and they're just not a great place. Um, I don't know if I lost you or not. Let me try to. Well, I think the, the video is frozen up. There you are. Oh, there we go. Hopefully. I, I so, still heard you. Hopefully the people on Facebook still heard you, but I, your voice is coming in loud and clear. Yeah, yeah you want to research the sort of place that's out there. And um, if it's a zoo, if it's an ACA zoo, that means what you pay to see the animals on exhibit, uh, a chunk of that is also helping restore and, and protect the animals that are out there. Because um, I always tell people in, in chats and all that, that these untouched areas that you see this line or it's, it's long gone. We've, uh, humans are everywhere around the world. So we've squeezed these animals into like certain small areas. So you want to protect the few habitats that we have for these large animals. So you want to support places that in turn are helping those habitats. So places like Joe Exotics, you're supporting him just as his habit to get more animals. And you aren't helping, you know, the, the picture of things, I guess. As a zookeeper, just to kind of wrap up here, we're living in this time of COVID-19. We're sheltering at home. Animals still need to be taken care of at the zoos. Are our animal buddies doing okay at the zoo? Yeah, yeah. There, there really hasn't been anything that shows that this can transfer, transfer like to the animals from person to animal. So right. everything's 100% safe and. Uh, 
uh, we're all wearing um, uh, PP protection. We're all trying to wash our hands as much as we can because sometimes you're in a room with four or five other humans, so you're trying to make that impact uh, as small as, as possible. But we, we are, we're trying to wash our hands a lot. We're trying to stay at least six feet away from each other. Um, zoos obviously rely on people coming through that front door, so to be closed uh, for sure all of April and who knows how long in May, it's really going to hurt yeah. your average zoo. So hopefully when they open, if it's a good zoo, please support them. But um, yeah, we'll, it, it's for me personally, I kind of like having a job that I can still show up to. So I'm not just sitting at home eating. Yeah, so you have a routine. I, I think no matter if you're, if you have a job like yours where you have to leave the house or if you're at home, finding a routine right now is so important. Yeah, exactly. Just locking yourself into some kind of groove as yeah. we're all sheltering. Uh, Brian, your perspectives, I mean, the timeliness of your perspectives, man, uh, you've seen and done a lot. I love the fact that you still work with animals in, a, in the most positive way. Uh, thank you for doing this with me. Oh, sure. No problem. Uh, it is quarantine, con carne, car con carne. Thank you for watching on Facebook and YouTube and everywhere else. We're going to kill the Facebook stream. And uh, thank you very much. This was oh, truly wonderful. Sure, no problem.